So two weeks ago, we talked about one of the things that stopped a nation from getting success, and we used it to, to challenge our, our graduates, you know, on, on obtaining success, and the thing was compromise. Sometimes when we compromise, the results aren't exactly what we want them to be. So when we get to chapter 17 today, we see the results of compromise. And the results of compromise is Israel's final fall. After this chapter, Israel will be no more. Judah will still stand for another few hundred years uh, because they were good most of the time, I guess. So they survive a little longer. But today is the last time we will see Israel as, a, as an actual nation in the book of Kings and then really into the entire Old Testament. And the problem we see is, much like Paxson presented to his dad, it's not a problem of ignorance, it's a problem of morality. They get taught right in the middle, as Danny just read, which by the way, he read all the hard words I'm not even going to attempt to say. You know, right in the middle of that, they read, they went to a priest, they asked the priest for examples and, and, and to be taught, and the priest taught them. So it's not a matter of ignorance, it's a matter of they chose not to follow through with what God had commanded his people to be doing. And as much as we like to look at this as just a chapter in Scripture, just a little bit of history, I think if we're really honest and open our hearts this morning, we'll see that we're a little bit like them. We don't have a problem of ignorance when it comes to worship. We don't have a problem of ignorance when it comes to living the Christian life. We've got a moral problem. We've got a decision-making problem. And we think it's okay just to add a little bit because it's fake, because it doesn't matter, because we know we shouldn't do this, or because... Yeah, while well, it may be a movie, we know it burns images in our head forever, but we think it's okay, just a little bit. But what we're going to see as we jump into this thing is by adding just a little bit to what God said we ought to leave alone, we make God really mad, and he says it's a really big deal. He doesn't look at it as, as like this final thing. And, and here's what I love, and here's what I want us to remember, because this chapter is really harsh. It looks kind of rough, especially when you get to like lions, you know, doing some of the punishment and all that. You're like, man, why we got... God's been putting up with us. We've been in Kings. So if you're visiting with us, you may not know, but we've been in Kings for a long time. You know, we've been in it for months, but we've covered hundreds of years of hearing God say they, they were close, but they, ah, they weren't quite there. They, they tried, but they, they chose not to do it this way. They were, they were almost like this dad, but, but then they became like this dad talking about David versus some of the other fathers and, and they didn't have a heart after me like David had. And we watch this downfall for years and years and years and years. And I'll be honest with you, even in this chapter, there's a little bit of, of grace and light of seeing what God's trying to do to draw people still back to him. So we've got a whole lot of God trying to fix what's been wrong. But here's what God said. And here's what kind of two verses really summarize the whole chapter. What's going on in history right here? Verse 18 in the middle, 2 Kings 17, 18. And it says, so Yahweh was very angry with Israel. And he removed them from his sight. None was left except for the tribe of Judah. You ever made your parents so mad that they told you, just get out of here? Dave, if your mom's 90, how many times did she tell you, just get out of my sight? Right? <laughs> they got you out of their sight. <laughs> right? <laughs> So think about that. Some of you are thinking, well, I can't relate to that. How many times has your spouse told you, just get out of my sight? Right? <laughs> Could you imagine getting to a point finally after hundreds and hundreds of years of disobedience 
of betraying, of stomping, and really just just flat out walking all over God's grace. Him finally getting to a point where he's got to say, I am so angry, I'm going to remove you from my sight. This covenant that we made, this agreement that we made, this promised land that I blessed you with, you're getting put in the corner. You're losing it. See, I want to make sure we understand, sometimes God has to do the hard things because he's a good daddy. And a good daddy sometimes has got to teach us that way. So as we look at this northern kingdom Israel and the blatant idolatry they've been with, we, we looked at it, we started with, with Jeroboam where he started it with worship of Bethel and Dan and, and the two golden calves. And, and Israel has never looked back since then. I mean, they've continued down this, this rough path, this wrong path for years and years and years. And here we get to this chapter where the northern kingdom is going to cease to exist. And the reasons throughout the chapter are given. There's idolatry, there's worldliness, there's, there's disobedience. Just look back at verses verses 7 and 8. Some of your scriptures will, will separate everything and it'll tell you this is why they fell. It says, this disaster happened because the people of Israel sinned against Yahweh their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And because they worshipped other gods, they lived according to the customs of the nations of the world all around them that the Lord had told them before. You're not to do what the kings of Israel and the other nations around you have been doing. Look, 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 look at seven. Very, very blatantly said they feared other gods. I point that out because here's something I think we'll all agree with in church, especially, especially as, as, as most of us are in light comic. We know we shouldn't worship other gods. We know we shouldn't love other gods. But do we acknowledge we shouldn't fear other gods? Now, some of you are thinking, well, we don't have other gods. We don't have these idols. We don't have this stuff and we don't have that stuff. What is it that you fear that you've made an idol? What is it that you fear that you've made a God? Because here's the reality. What you fear gets a little bit of control over you. And when something has a little bit of control over you, God says that's like it being a God over you. It's being a deity over you. It's having a power over you. So my question is, what is that fear? What is that thing that's gained control over you where God is supposed to have control? When you fear something, it controls you. And Israel allows themselves to be controlled by false gods because of fear. And watch the progress of all these little things that don't matter. And as much as you guys laughed here, because we're going to see uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine verses. We're going to go back and look at them in a bunch of different ways where, where it just lists this, this downfall. And, and we laugh when Paxson picked up the extra brownie, sniffed it, still tasted it, and still took a bite of it. And his only concern was, was like the big dog or the little dog. And we laugh about it, but, but is that not what you and I got, you and I do with sin? We know it's wrong. We smell it. We taste it. We've even had some of the, the consequences and the side effects from it. Yet we're still willing to, to sample just a little bit more of it. Right? Because we think the little things don't matter. And here's what happens when you get a bunch of little things and the downward spiral. Verse seven. I'm just, I'm just going to read the section of each one. So verse seven, it says, they feared other gods. There's where it starts. Verse 9. Moreover, they built for themselves high places in their towns. They built these high places because they were fearing other gods. You and I begin to change what we do, how we do, why we do, because we let other gods get in the way, whether it's fear or something else, right? Verse 10. They set for themselves sacred pillars. Verse 11. They burned incense on the high places. Verse 12. They served idols. Verse 16. They made for themselves images, the Asher poles and, and Baal and all that stuff that they served. Verse 17. They made their sons and their daughters pass through fire. This goes back to what we looked at in chapter 16, where they were literally killing their children to worship another God. 
And we use the example of they would put this child in this this, this metal container and, and heat it up and they would beat drums outside the container to cover up the noise of the screaming. Some of you think, I can't believe you'd bring that up again after after us having two weeks to get over it. Well, it stays in your brain. I hope it does. Because we're making a lot of noise to cover up the screams of generations under us that need to have issues addressed. Verse 22. Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam. They continued in these ways. They feared what they shouldn't fear. They loved what they shouldn't love. And they began to serve what they shouldn't serve. Sometimes you and I let fear begin that downward spiral. Fear of popularity, fear of lack of success, fear of it not working out this way, fear of if I do this, then I might get this fear, 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 fear. And it changes everything we do or it stops us from doing what we're supposed to do. And in this case for Israel, and I think in our personal lives, God took it very personal. You go back to Exodus chapter 20, verse three, and he was, he was so clear. There's no no beating around the bush, no gray area on this part of the old covenant it says thou shalt have no other gods before me. And Israel just they just disregarded. This command time and time again, the writer of this chapter and of second Kings mentioned this throughout the chapter. Israel did according to the pattern of this world. Israel did according to the pattern of this world. Israel did like the nations amongst them. Israel did like the other leaders had done. Israel did what all those others had done, adding just a little bit to what God said was complete, led to a downward spiral. Verse eight, they walked in the customs of the nations and the customs of the kings. Verse 11, they burned incense to, to the nations as the Lord told them to carry it away. Verse 11, they followed vanity and they became vain themselves because of other nations. They went after other nations. Verse 22, they walked in the sins of Jeroboam. We just read it, right? It is obvious that worldliness and idolatry are linked together. And here's why I want us to really understand this today. They loved the world so much that it led them to worship like the world. They were so infatuated with the world that they began to emulate the world. And you and I can say, oh, that's not us, but I have to ask, is it? If, the, if, if people were to come in and listen and do and say what we say, would they notice there's a very big difference than what goes on outside the walls of the church? Now, you look at this, and it's hard to tell if the love of the world is what led them to idolatry or if idolatry is what led them to the love of the world. But either way, they're linked together. So for you and I, I'd say they're linked together still. And if you and I are going to let one in, it's so much easier to let the other one in. Exodus chapter 19 just proving it was God's, never God's intention. One through six, it said in the third month after the sons of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt. On that day, they came into the wilderness of Sinai. When they set out from Rehavdian, they came into the wilderness of Sinai and they camped in the wilderness. And there Israel camped in front of the mountain. Moses went up to God and Yahweh called to him from the mountain saying, Thus, you shall say to the house of Jacob, to the sons of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and now I bore you on eagle's wings, and I brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession amongst the people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be my kingdom of priests and a holy nation. There are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. God made a calling for his people when he brought them out of slavery. The calling was he wanted people that were wholly his, he wanted a bride that was loved by only him and who only loved him. And he wanted children that were devoted to him. And Israel refused God's desires. And instead, they chose to chase after patterns of this world. And when you chase after patterns of this world, you chase after anything in the world. It leads to disobedience. So we saw throughout what Danny read that they served idols. And, and it's, verse 14 says, however, they did not listen. 
They rejected his statutes. They rejected the covenant. They didn't even listen to the warnings is what verse 15 says. They forsook the commandments of the Lord, their God. And then in verse 19, it said that Judah wasn't even able to keep these commandments. So they get so far gone that the tribe that was supposed to be the last good one begins to downward spiral. That's why it's so important who we hang out with. And if you're thinking, man, this is for them and not for us. How about let's bring it home for today then. First Peter chapter two, New Testament. Verses nine and ten, it says, but you, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Sound familiar? Sound like he's repeating a little bit of Exodus so that you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness and into this marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are a people of God. And you had not received if you had not received mercy, you still wouldn't be. But you received this mercy. After Exodus, God asked the people to be wholly his. They chose to reject it. After the cross, God is asking again for us to be a royal, royal priesthood. Now it's up for you and I to decide if we're going to follow or not. Whether we're going to avoid idolatry and worldliness and disobedience. Whether we're going to learn from past generations or if we're going to continue to follow down their path. And church, I'm going to tell us we better make sure that as any good bride, that we're only trying to win the affections of our husband rather than anything else in this world. You know what that means? God, God said, God said, yeah, it, it, it go to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 2 and 3, it says, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and the purity of your devotion to Christ. Paul is telling this early church, he's like, guys, you're supposed to be wholly devoted to your bride, your groom, which is Christ. Yet you're so worried about trying to attract the junk of the world. Think about what you and I do. What do we do to get the attraction of the things of the world to like us? Sometimes it's just innocent things that, that we like too. I like a good jacked up truck, but we do it what? To draw attention. Right? I like a good loud exhaust, but what does it do? It draws attention. Right? We, we succeed in areas and we, and we brag about it. We get happy about the things that, 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 that others, you know, get happy about. As far as what looks like success and what drives us and, and what motivates us and what pushes us. And what Paul is saying very clearly to the church, and I think what God is saying to us, is God is looking. He's a groom who's looking for a bride that is only trying to gain the attention of her one husband, not others. You, know, you let your wife let wear lingerie at the house when it's just you two, but you don't want to wear lingerie when it's around the world, do you? None, none of you men got a problem with that? That was supposed to be like a driving home kind of realistic thing, right? My wife ain't wearing the laundry in front of you guys, right? That's mine. You know what I'm saying? And do you not think God is any different? You know, I think when God said, I've made you in my image, I think it's little things like that that God's like put in us so that we can fully relate with what he desires. You know what I'm saying? Like, like those, those, those drives and those, those pushes. So at this point, Northern Kingdom, no more, they're gone. Nothing left but the tribe of Judah. Is what the verse said. And, and if we keep reading, here's what happens. The Samaritans begin to move in. Now, here's what's crazy when you think about this. I know that chapter covered a lot. But when we read, what we're going to see is the Israelites being moved out. They're literally getting driven out of their kingdom. This was your promised land, not no more. And here's what, here's what the Assyrians do as they move in. They move the Jews out, and now they're moving refugees back in. So, so understand this picture, because I think it's really cool. 
when you really look at it. It's hard to understand in, in just that chapter. The Jews are being moved out of this, this promised land, right? Being moved to foreign areas. And moving in is the refugees to Israel. So the northern kingdom is going to become, in, in essence, a prison or a place of exile. What that means is this, that this king of Assyria is taking all the nations he's defeated. Oh, I don't want you in my own land. I'm going to put you in this scrap land that I obtained. So now you have the nation of Israel, quote unquote, promised land. And it's being filled up with people who have been taken captive. And they're refugees. They're feeling defeated. They're feeling lost. And they're placed in this land. Man, does that not sound like a New Testament picture of us sometimes? Right. Refugees defeated, being placed in in this land that God just happens to be able to come into and and teach a little bit on us. Right. Fill a a land filled with survivors who've been conquered, though. You you ever feel sometimes like you're surviving, but you've been conquered. Right. There's just certain things and certain things that go on. Maybe to help us understand what this this hate and why it gets so bad here. So so these these are what we're going to end up calling Samaritans in the New Testament. And even for the rest of this, right? So 700 years later, if you were to flash forward, you remember Jesus, he's sitting at the well, or he walks up on this well with this lady sitting, and, and he begins to talk to her. She knows right off the rip who he is. We know that he knows right off the rip who she is. And as they begin to talk, you know, she, she she's blown away. She says, what, what are you talking to me, a Samaritan, about? And he says, woman, you, you just you just don't know. You just don't know, right? And, and, and even a little bit later, his own, just showing you, just showing you the relationship now. We'll come back to it at the end. Even later, his own disciples talking about Samaritans later on in, in the same book, they said, man, do you, do you want us to try to confuse them so they can't follow us and understand what you're doing? And, and Jesus just saying, like, you guys still, you guys still ain't got it. But I wanted, what I'm trying to show you right now to make sure you understand is, is that the Samaritans become a hated people because of how they got in the land. So if you've ever wondered, like, why did they hate them? What was the what was the big deal? This is it. Would you not hate somebody who came in and took possession of all your stuff? I want you to understand what they what they are going to understand or what they knew to understand. You know, so we read it sometimes in the New Testament. And we're like, man, I, I don't understand, like, why they actually dislike these people so much. And if you never check it out, you'll never know why. Here's why. They came in and just took everything from them. So G- Jesus would even use this parable. Most of you remember at least the parable of the Good Samaritan. That was like the biggest ultimate shame you could do on Israel. Because for them to look at somebody who came and took over their stuff and be the good example that God was using. He was like, yeah, I've got you now. Now you understand. Jesus gave that that aha moment when he spoke to his people. And if you've ever wondered their history, this this is it. This is it. Samaria would even become the, the name of the northern kingdom as time goes on. Right. So you've got foreigners who moved into this region. They dwelled in Israel's houses. Kind of sound like when Israel got to go into the promised land. Remember, they houses were already built. Stuff was there for them to take over. They ate the crops from Israel's fields. And then there's some leftover people that, that ended up marrying poor Israelites that, that were left. And, you know, we know them in, in the New Testament. It uses some of the words of calling them half-breeds and unwelcome guests and, and whatnot. But, but here's the big problem. You've got people who were never meant to be in the promised land coming in and bringing their stuff with them. Pagan worship, pagan practices, ideas and, 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 and things that they've been doing for, for years and years. Maybe you could say, hey, they didn't know. But when they brought it with them, they brought their junk with them. And, and, and here, here's my question. When someone moves in, don't they bring their stuff with them? Right? I, I, I was hoping that the Blumenberg's beer, because they're, they're our newest married couple, right? 
and I want to use it as an example of, but man, when you, when you first move in with somebody, if you've never lived with anybody before, it's a little different, isn't it? Right? We had what we called the love shack when we first got married. It was this little apartment where our house was getting built and, and you know, it was in the middle of nowhere as far as like Somerville, so there wasn't nothing flashy around it or anything. But we said we're going to get the cheapest, smallest thing we can get, you know, so that we could save our money for, for the house that was getting built. So we move in and I moved in a couple months ahead of time and I was like, man, this is cool. Got my own, I never had my own place, you know, mom and dad let me stay at home while I was in school and, and, and doing all that. So I was like, this is great, man. I got like my own chair. I got my own sink. You know, even at the home, I had to share a sink with another girl who always wanted to put her hair all over the crap and, and all that. So it was just wonderful. Right. I mean, it, it was great. That one month goes by and she goes, Hey, I'm going to start moving some of my stuff in to get ready for after the wedding day. I was like, oh, cool, no big deal. Yeah, bring it on. Yeah, I was right. My man kingdom was destroyed. It was gone. We had so much. It wasn't a man cave anymore. It was like a quarter of a tree house I was allowed to sit in. That was it. She brought so much junk and crap up in there. And I can say all this because she's sending it to the babies, right? So like, I just want to tell you like it is. There's so much stuff. So much stuff that wasn't my stuff. And it's so perfect. It's so perfect. Now think about it. What have we imparted into our way of worship? What have we allowed the world to bring in to our way of worship that's not even supposed to be brought in, but we've let it come in? It was on me. Now, yeah, we were getting married, so she was going to be the boss soon. But it was on me in the beginning. I said, yeah, bring it on. I thought it was going to be great. It's going to be cool. I was excited about it. What, what in these people? One of these people gave them the right to think they could go against what God had told them for hundreds and hundreds of years not to do and say, you know what? Bring it on in, man. Bring it on in. What if we as a church opened our doors and said, you know what? Let's just totally change our view on it and let people bring it on in. What is it that we're letting being brought in? Now, everybody's own thing, you know, your, your own type of worship and all. But what is it that we've allowed to come in and that we, that we, we haven't really even made room for? So therefore, when you do, that's the problem, you know, when you don't make room for something, that means when you get too much of it, whatever was on that back burner has just got to fall off the shelf. What if we allowed to fall off the shelf that maybe we're supposed to stay on the shelf because we let too much other stuff get moved in? Sometimes I wonder if we've gotten away from our roots that we were supposed to be holding tight to when it comes to a relationship with Christ because we've let so much other stuff just be in the face for the moment. You know, that, that, that apartment I'm telling you about, it had this, this extra room. And, and in that room, it was just going to be like a little storage closet, really. It was a tiny room. We, we lived in a really small place in the beginning, right? But as Crystal brought her stuff in and as we got married, you know, wedding gifts came in, we just, we just did the old shove process. You know, like little kids who clean a room, they shove it on the closet. We just shoved everything to the back of that room and piled up the front. You couldn't, I couldn't even tell you what was at the back of that room until we cleaned it back out. Is that what we've done in our walk with Christ? Have we had the important stuff that we were supposed to hold on to? I mean, think about that first time you leave home. You grab what's important to you, right? You grab the vitals. You know, at least one pair of underwear, a couple clean shirts, some deodorant. You know, if you got jewelry or whatever that kind of thing is for you, like you grab the essentials. And they were there. Some toilet paper, that's right. Not poop brownies, though. You leave them out of your neighbor's house. Right. But you grab that essential stuff and it was there. And then it just kept getting shoved 
back further with the more stuff that come in. Now hear me, our, our growth is to learn new things. So there can be some good new stuff as well, guys. But let's just make sure we're shoving to the back what needs to be shoved to the back and we're keeping at the forefront what needs to be kept at the forefront. You understand? Now look at this thing a little further. Here's what happens. What happens is they let fear really get into them. Verses 24 through 41, the whole rest of the chapter. God describes in detail the religion of these guys who we're going to call Samaritans. That's what's come there. That's what they're going to be, right? And, and the characteristics that maybe you and I should be aware of. Because I think if we do a little comparison, maybe some of the stuff they do is a little too close for comfort for what you and I do. So, so fear has the, the biggest word that stands out to me. You look at verses 32, 33, 41, uh, 34, and, and a couple others. But it says, verse 32, so they feared the Lord. That sounds like a good thing, right? Verse 33, they feared the Lord, yet served other gods. That sounds kind of like a weird thing. Verse 41, so these nations feared Yahweh. Hmm, yet they served carved images. I think they've got the wrong kind of fear. When, when I think of fear. Verse 34, it says, they do not fear the Lord. Now you're wondering, man, if you're reading this thing, you're like, man, is there a contradiction? No, I, I think here's what it is. I think sometimes they feared the Lord and sometimes they didn't. And we say, man, that seems really weird. And I could ask you, is that really weird or is that what we do? Sometimes we fear God, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we want to be with God, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we acknowledge him, sometimes we don't. Am I right? I don't think it's a contradiction. I think it's a reality. I think they've got the, I think they have the wrong proper type of fear. Jesus said you got to have the proper type of fear. He taught his disciples to fear. Look at Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Don't fear those who kill the body, but they're not able to kill the soul. Rather fear him who's able to destroy both soul and body. He, he's, he's keeping in perspective like there's, there's things of this world that can happen that are bad, but they're not ultimate. Yahweh is ultimate. He, he's, he's the thing. He's the eternal thing. And, and he's trying to, to trying to keep his disciples. And then King Solomon, we, we call him the wise guy. Right? He gave instruction in Ecclesiastes chapter 8. He said, it shall be well with them that fear the Lord. Talking about the right kind of fear, that reverent fear. Now, I always tell you guys this, that if one way is true, then the other way, as long as you switch everything, must be true too, right? So if he says, it is well for them that fear the Lord, then therefore for those who don't fear the Lord, it must not be going to be well. Right? So, so may I just ask you this, what, what kind of fear is it that we should have? What, what is this, this fear of God that we're supposed to have rather than the wrong kind? It's this reverent fear. Reverent fear that motivates us to turn away from sin and serve God faithfully all the time. The, the fear of the Lord is the kind of fear that, that never thinks of God when, when things are going well. You ever notice that? You ever notice like a, like a, Person who just doesn't get it all the way, like God's God's the last thought when things are good, right? That's why sometimes we even, if we're honest, sometimes we even struggle to fill up praise time, right? Should it ever be a struggle? When we worship like Samaritans, we don't think of God when things are going well. Just to prove the point, they never even asked about God till verse twenty-five, right? Verse twenty-five. Here's what it says: At the beginning of their living there, they did not fear Yahweh. Therefore, Yahweh sent lions among them to kill them. Now, some of the guys in the room were like, yeah, sounds like good stuff, right? But when you really think about what, what actually happened here, you can say it this way. The, the result of them angering God is either he sent lions or he let lions punish them. Because here's what he told them in Exodus verse 23, verse 29. 
He, he gave this warning about land lying vacant while the exiles were being removed. Remember, he removed them in stages. And then Joshua and Moses are like, well, why is this stage thing? Like, I don't just get it all at once and you just kick them all out at once. And here's what he told them. I'm not going to drive them all out in a single year. Now, not that God always gives a reason, but here's what he says. Because here's what happened. The land, this is Exodus 23, 29. That the land may become desolate and the beast of the field, could that not be a lion? Just asking. May become too numerous for you to be able to control. Hundreds of years before we get to this part, Jesus had told them, yeah, if you drive out everybody too soon, if everybody gets out too soon, that the natural beasts will become too numerous for you to control. Now we have a nation who's moving back into a land that's been vacant in different areas. We, I mean, we've been reading King for how long with how many areas have been defeated and, and kicked out and removed from and, and like, right. So all this has been going on. And while all that's going on, Exodus 23 has been becoming true. The beasts, which I'm going to call lions because that's what they come up, right? Have now grown so many that they're able to come up. And, and here's what I love. The beginning of this thing is beautiful. It's great. These people are so distraught. They do this really smart thing. Look at, look at 26. So the lions come. In 26, it says, The settlers said to the king, The nations that you've deported and placed in the cities of Samaria do not know the requirements of the God of the land. Therefore, he sent lions among them that they're killing them because the people don't know the requirements of this God. Here, here's what he's saying. He goes to the king and he says, Look, we've come into this land we don't know about and we don't know how to appease this God. Remember, they're pagans. They believe in a lot of them, right? So they're thinking something bad is happening to us. Sometimes we get this view, which is the wrong view. Sometimes, you know, they think, Something bad is happening to us, so therefore, we need to figure out a way to make this thing right. So what's going to happen is the king's going to be like, all right, you know what, you're right, let's get a priest. Let's let that priest come in, and, and they're going to teach. Now, the good with the bad, right? Here, here's the, the good is that they sought it out. The bad is their decision is based totally on fear. There's no faith in any of this, right? They're not really seeking out the one true God. They're simply trying to appease to whatever God is causing them grief. Look, look at their attitude in this, right? Do, do we not do this sometimes? We don't, we don't want God. We just want God to solve our problems. Am I right? We, we don't want to live for him. We just want him to take care of all of our distractions. Right? In other words, it's not about pleasing God. It's about getting God off my back. Now, if this sounds too close for home, let it sink in, right? And, and, and they miss the point. It, it really becomes more like a... I was telling Jeremiah last night, I think it was, or yesterday afternoon, that, that it seems more like a superstition than a voodoo. You know, I'll just take this God and put him on my shelf with all the other gods and, and incorporate him into everything. Kind of like the, you remember the rich young ruler in Matthew chapter 19? Matthew chapter 19, he comes to Jesus and he said, you know, uh, 16 through 18, and someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do to obtain eternal life? And he said, Why are you asking me about what is good? There's only one who is good. But if you wish to enter life, keep the commandments. Then he says, which ones? Do, do we catch what the rich young ruler is doing? He's not interested in a relationship with Jesus. He's interested in doing just enough to keep God off his back. You know, the, uh, this, this applies both ways, right? You, you know why we don't see marriages lasting long and why we see marriages full of so many problems? Because we got spouses that want to do just enough to keep the other one off our back. You want to know why we're not raising up next generations to do the things they're supposed to be doing? Because we do just enough to keep DSS off our backs. Right? You want to know why we don't have a walk with Christ like some of us used to when we talk about that fire of the good old days? Right? 
Fire burns hotter the longer it burns. Am I right? So the fire today should be hotter than the good old days. Am I right? Because it's been burning for a long time, so it should be should be pretty fired up, right? You want to know why we don't have it? Because we do just enough. We got that checklist mentality. And we let just a little bit more of the other stuff in to make us feel good, but also keep God off our back. Right? Look, look at what God says. The type of relationship he describes. First John chapter four says there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Then it seems all weird because what does God say? God says what? Fear the Lord your God. But, but keep that fear in check. This isn't a fear of, I don't want to get popped. It's a fear of reverence. It's a fear of man. Look at what he's done. Look at what he can do. Look at, look at what's possible. And because of that, I want to appease him. I want to please him. God is seeking a loving relationship with people who want to seek him out and know him. And these people, they don't, they don't really want to know him. They just want to avoid running into him. And maybe that's some of us today. Maybe the fact is we don't really, we don't really want to know what God wants. We just want God to stay off our back. Right? And that their request gets granted. The king, not, not to get too far ahead before I finish, right? Their request gets granted, verses 27 through 28. This, this priest come in and answers them. And here's what it says. Taught them how they should fear the Lord, Yahweh. Notice what it doesn't say. You got to note this because this is important. It doesn't say he taught them to fear the Lord. He says what? Taught them how they should fear the Lord. Little words make a big difference in a sentence, don't they? True fear of the Lord is not about being scared like he's some sort of, of bully that's going to take our lunch money. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not what God's looking for. True fear of the Lord is like a reverence. It's, it's a, it's a, I want to honor and obey him. Right? You could, you could almost say like, I fear my wife. I mean, she's five foot three. She's not really going to hurt me unless she gets to my gun cabinet. Right? But, but I, I, I fear her because I, I honor and obey her. She knows. Right? Little traitor over there poking to the camera. What a loser. Right? That's why you got poop brownies, boy. Right? So, so this priest, here, here, here's what it does, and here's what's awesome. He teaches them the law. He teaches them to rightly honor the Lord. Right? Ver- verses uh, 35 through 39, I think. Don't hold me to those numbers. But in that section, might even go into 41. He teaches them everything. So like I said at the beginning, the, it's not a moral problem. It's an ignorance problem. Right? They're choosing. They're, they're, oh, no, I'm sorry. I said it backwards. <laughs> it is a moral problem, not an ignorance problem. They know what they're to know. Same thing as you and you and I. We study scripture like we, we investigate it. We learn it. We don't have an ignorance problem. We got a moral problem when it comes to what we're supposed to do. These people would have never even thought of God had it not been for the lions. And we could look at it as such a bad thing. But here's really. If it turns you around, wouldn't it be a grateful thing for it? We were sitting around the shop the other day and, and, and just talking about like death penalty and life sentences and, and all that kind of stuff. And my first reaction, just to be honest and upfront, you can hate me, whatever. My first thing was, you know, if, if they got a life sentence, what, what's really the point of it going on? But then, then, then the spiritual side kicked in. See, that's why we don't let the flesh get too much control. Spiritually, I said, man, what if in that years of sitting in prison, one of them gets saved. What, what, what's if that's the lion that God had to send for one of them to understand the reverence of God? And then it changed everything. 
And I had to feel bad. And I was like, thanks, God, for slapping me in the back of the head. Right? I was kind of fired up when they first asked. I was like, oh, let me tell you. And then, then like halfway through the first sentence, I didn't, I didn't even get a good sentence in. Don't you hate when dads do that? Yeah, Abba's really good at it, right? Like you get that first sentence going, then it was like, oh, we're talking about eternity. Man, you know, it just, it just changes things when we think about it that way. But that's, that's the mindset we're to have, an eternal mindset. This is exactly like some of us don't think today sometimes when it comes to this stuff. We only look for God when we're ill. We only look for God when there's tragedy. We only turn to God when things are wrong. And if we do that, then our religion is no different than these guys in chapter 17, the Samaritans. Right? If, if that's the only time we're looking for him, is that the only time we want to spend time with him, then we're no different than they were. They had a form of religion with no substance, right? Think about this. You, you realize you can come to church. You guys can spend the, the hour and a half, two hours here, whatever it is, right? You can leave and you can stay the exact same. You can because all you do is come to church. You can't come to Jesus and leave the same. You can't come to Jesus and still keep all the other stuff that you would gather. You come to church and keep it all. The difference is we get a herd mentality. We, we want to come to church, but we don't want to come to Jesus. Right? You understand the difference? Some of you right now are like, man, I, I thought coming to church was coming to Jesus. You totally missed it. And I'm glad I was the one who could at least let you know that you should start investigating it a little deeper. Right? Adding to the shelf mentality. Man, look at, look at 33. Go, go back to it. I'm going to hit 33 two more times just so you know. I think 33 drives at home, right? They feared Yahweh, but they also worshiped their own gods according to the practices of the nations whom they had been deported from. They added God to their, to their shelf. Right? It's a life of fear, not a life of, of faith. They, they do this, and here's what we, and here's what we do when we do it. We submit to everything in order to try not to offend anything. Yeah, maybe I should, right? We submit to everything in order to try not to offend anything. You, you, you ever just sit back and watch? I don't know if you guys do this or not. You know, we, we don't get a whole lot involved with the convention and all that kind of stuff. And well, you don't even want to hear my opinion and all that. But anyway, so so so. But in that, you see these big organizations that are over denominations, right? Methodist, Baptist. I don't care. All of them got their crappy problems. Yes, I said the Baptists do too. I don't care. I don't care. Right? Like, like, like tons of them, tons of problems. But you watch these things and, and here, here's what blows my mind though. They get these big things going. They have these big old yearly meetings and what should we change on our, our beliefs? And, and it's because of what? Nobody brings out a Bible and says, Oh man, here's what God taught me this year. This is why we should change it. No, here's the crap they come up with. They say, man, you, you know, the world, they've really started adjusting to this area and they really started adjusting to that and they're really starting to go there, maybe maybe we should kind of loosen the. So so, who are we appeasing to then? Are we letting the Holy Spirit lead us and drive us, or, or are we just appeasing to the world because it makes it easy? We don't want to offend anybody. Heaven forbid we do that, right? Heaven forbid we just call sin sin. That's why nobody talks about it anymore, right? Am I correct? Or are you going to be quiet because you got your feelings hurt just now because you agree with some of it? Which way is it? I, I'm just I'm just saying like what I see, man. I'm not. No different, right? So they add God to their list. Pick him off a shelf whenever they need something. I, I was, <laughs> you get a lot of conversations at the house when you got two families living together. That's good. I'm serious. It's real good. It's real good. Speaking of, of conventions and all that stuff, they always want these numbers. How many you can save at VBS? And you guys have heard me say this before, so this ain't a secret. I bet you money. 
I could get 50 kids baptized after VBS this year. Bet you money right. Anybody want to bet me? Bet me. Come on. I'll, I'll double your odds 10 to 1. You lose, you pay 50. I pay you 5,000. 500. I'll, I'll 100 to 1. I'll, I'll 100 to 1 it so it is 5,000. I'll 100 to 1 it so it is 5,000. Who wants to take it? Them's good. You ain't going to get them odds nowhere else. We gambling in church. How about it, right? Nobody? Because I tell you all the time, it ain't about getting them wet. It's about getting in a relationship with Christ. What do freaking do if you can baptize a bunch of people if they never get a relationship with the Lord? No different than what my brother talked about last week while he's talking about Africa. I've got another real good friend who's been to China for years, and he tells me all the time, he goes, man, it's almost humorous, like everybody accepts Jesus. But I guarantee if a Muslim was to come over there, they'd accept Islam too. They just add it to the list. Scripture says what? You shall love the Lord your God and you shall forsake all others. We gather part of it, but we forget the other part. And maybe your God isn't a, isn't a bunch of idols and, and statues and, and fancy names and all that stuff. But I guarantee you got some stuff on your shelf that probably just needs to be removed. And you should forsake so that God can have his right place. They had a form of religion with no substance. Right? Some of us got a form of religion with no substance. We come, remember that come to church sentence we just had? We come to church and we even raise our hands and worship, right? We're not raising them for Jesus though. We raise them because somebody else was raising them. Right? You, 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 it's like a little kid sometimes. That, that, the kid, it's cute and it's awesome and, and all that kind of stuff. Don't get me wrong. That kid don't know why they're raising their hand. They're raising their hand because they watch you raise their hand. Now, maybe when they raise their hand, you should then sit down with them and tell them, man, let me tell you why I raised my hand. Then you might develop some worshipers coming up into church. Rather than just sitting there and, oh, let's just take a picture. He's so cute while his hands are in the air and he's swinging around. God didn't call you to take a picture. Called you to raise them up to be the next generation so that we don't have generations like this. Right? What did the chapter end with? Man, I hate to get to the end. But what did Danny read last? And it continued on from generation to generation to generation. We let crap go on, crap continues to go on. Right? So this is where they're at. They had a form with no substance. You realize when we talk about worship, that's a physical and a spiritual thing? I mean both. Some of y'all got one without the other. And if you got one without the other, I don't care which one you got, it's wrong. You say, well, he's in my heart and I'm worshiping. I ain't read nothing in scripture that had anybody worshiping and that was an example. I'm serious, show me. Be cool. A study scripture, right? None of them. None of them was like, yeah, the person stood quietly in the corner while the worship got on. And Jesus just moved their little soul while they didn't say a word or move in any way. Right? No, that's not in there. Matter of fact, David got in trouble by his wife for what? He was so excited just for the presence of God coming in that he forgot to put on the rest of his clothes and ran out the house and started dancing. Could you imagine being that excited about God? Right? He was dancing in his skippies. Right? I mean, that's crazy. That's how excited he got, though. Now, I'm not saying you got to get that excited either. Right? Church might not be able to handle all that. But, shouldn't we get a little bit of both? A little bit of spirit and a little bit of truth? And I'm talking all areas. I'm not just talking, I I fall in the trap because it's easy when we talk about worship to think it's just a singing thing. I'm talking about praying. Oh, well, I, I pray quietly. 
because now, now you can have a quiet prayer. But there's sometimes you can't tell me you can always pray quietly without the spirit grabbing you. If so, I question who you're talking to. Right. And, and praying sometimes listening. But I can't listen to my wife so long before she tells me you got anything to say. You think the Lord ain't the same way. Right. Does he not use the example of us being bride and groom for a reason? Huh? Or a parent and a child? My boy can listen for so long and then finally I'm going to say what? What you going to say, boy? Right? It's the same way. What about giving? Let's just go through some examples since we all think worship is, is just a singing thing. So you got praying. You, you do have the singing thing, and of course, right? That's kind of obvious. What about giving? Hey, well, Pastor, you don't even pass an offering plate. That's because if I got to hand a plate in your face for you to put money in it, you ain't giving for the right reason. Let's just be honest. Right? There's a box back there. If you feel like you do it, drop it in there. It, or you can do it online. We fancy and high tech now, right? Huh? Yeah, nobody got to know. Counters ain't even got to know what you're doing, right? Hey, well, 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 pastor, is that, is that really, is that something that worries you? No. I ain't never missed a bill. You know what I'm saying? And I'm not talking about myself. Oh, I've never missed a bill either, thank God. But I'm talking about the church. You know what I'm saying? Like, if it's God's, it's God's. Ain't for me to worry about. Nicole, how many times a year I call and ask you how much was in tithing or Tiffany? Huh? Never? In 10 years, I've never asked you guys how much was given? Man, I must be a poor leader. Right? Oh, wait. Everything we own is paid for, taken care of. We've never missed a bill, I said. Yeah, I guess it's not so bad, huh? (laughs) Think about this, though. But what does Scripture say about giving, by the way, while we're on it? A what? Cheerful. I, I watched somebody. I ain't going to call you out. So don't worry. if you shaking in your boots. Huh? Did you really wear cowboy boots and a Harley Davidson shirt last week? <laughs> so so, so I, I watched them a couple weeks ago. They had the grumpiest look on their Now, they could have been having a bad day. I understand those happen, okay? But I watched them walk better and drop their offering in the box on the way out to shake my hand and, you know, do, do the little thing or whatever. And, and man, I, I almost wanted to like try to figure out a way to open the box and just hand it back to him. Oh man, if it's that bad, just keep it, dog. Right? Like, ain't no big deal. Because <laughs> right? what does Scripture say? Scripture says I was a cheerful giver. Right? Now, if that's what I could see, surely I understand that you can smile and drop money in a box. What is God looking at though? Oh, substance, form without substance. So you could be now that works both ways, too. So so that person, full full disclosure, they could have had a a rough moment, but in their heart, they could have been the happiest person in the world. Give it away. I understand that. Right. But but you're not if you could even if you could fool me. If I happen to see you can't fool God, you don't think God knows your heart. Huh? And and then my favorite, though, is that when it comes to the giving thing. Is that this goes with time and money. Here, let's just add a little bit to it, right? Because you'd realize you're supposed to tithe your time since you're so worried about this little tent thing, right? Which, by the way, is a beginning point, but we preach on that a whole other day later, right? But, but, but the, the time, the time and money thing, we use it both. Well, when I, when I, when I have a little extra, I'll be able to do it the right way. You ain't never gonna have no extra. We had the dumb idea of saying, well, when we're ready, we'll have kids. We ain't never ready for kids. I got one that's 12 right now and I still ain't ready for kids. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Not even close. Right? But you're not even gonna be ready. You just do because it's what God says do. And then when as you do it, like it, it begins to change you, 
Right? So anyway, don't have form without having substance. Don't have substance without form. If you do, it's very, very, very hypocritical. Right? Uh, Matthew chapter 15, 7 through 8. This is just to get us back on track because I'll be honest, I have no idea where we're at. Right? Hypocrites, Israel prophesied. Correct me about you when he said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. This attitude, it's always existed. It's not like a new thing. I love what David said. David said, as long as I got breath, I'm going to praise the Lord. Right? Could you imagine like your last breath? Praising the Lord? It'd be a cool way to go out, right? Not to say you get to pick it, but man, it'd be cool, right? Form means nothing without the right heart. Here's some questions to ask. Is our religion one of simply going through the steps? Your religion, not mine, by the way, because mine's not. Right? Is yours one just going through the steps? Checklist. Well, I read today. Well, I prayed over this meal. Well, I told my wife I love her. I told the boy he should behave. Check, check, check. I'm good. Is, is it one of steps? Or is it just a form? Again, if that's all it is, we're acting just like these Samaritans, right? Luke chapter 19, I, I love it. We talk about worship and, and, and praise. We were created. This is going to lead us into Hezekiah in the next couple of weeks, which I've been wanting to get to for a while. Somebody actually asked me because I said in two weeks we'll be on Hezekiah. I forgot I was going out of town. And they were like, are you still going to do Hezekiah today or are you going to finish 17? I was like, the Lord told me I had to do 17 and wait for Hezekiah. But in chapter 19, talking about talking about praise, we were created to praise him. The, the, the Pharisees, they come up to Jesus and they're like, man, you need to tell your disciples. They need to pipe down a little bit. And Jesus kind of snickers. I wish this one wasn't chosen, right? It might be coming up, right? He kind of snickers and, and, and he looks at it and goes, man, if they shut up, you're going to have all the rocks start screaming out. Right? Is that not a cool way of looking at it? Jesus was a cool dude, man. He just got it, man. All right, back, back to this thing, right? So, so these Samaritans, they got this compromise thing going. Verse 41. They had Yahweh, but then the verse says they also had their gods. So they gave that lip service that Matthew just talked about, right? To, to the gods that they achieved the most of. And it's the same for, for us today with a lot of stuff, man. We serve God while trying to, if you try to serve God while trying to serve the world, I can guarantee you, the world will always win. Always. You'll begin to push God back, your time back. You know, you want to watch this show instead of study this verse or, or read or you do this instead of pray. You will always push God further back when you're trying to do both. Check it out. Try it. Just, just, just weigh on your own, own life. Nobody's even got to know about it. Like it's just you and, you and your own evaluation, right? Then we begin to rationalize our conduct. You ever notice the more we let the world in, how easy it is to rationalize what we do? Yeah. God can't tolerate this. John chapter 15, he said, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. So this priest for five verses, 35 through 39, I knew it came up in the notes somewhere. 35 through 39, he tells them the right ways, the laws to worship God. And here's what it says, because this is what they're not interested in. You ever, you ever ask the right person for the right answer, but then when they give it to you, you realize that ain't really what I was looking for? Are you honest enough to admit that? Cause here's what, yeah, I don't want to hear that. It'd be like me trying to ask one of the, one of the fitness ladies. I did. I can't even remember who it was, but y'all, y'all's little E2M, did I say it right? Whatever it is, E2M, right? I was like, man, how in the world are y'all doing what y'all doing? Right? Then they told me and I was like, I'm not doing that. Why would I do that? That's crazy. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I asked the right person. I got the right information. But I don't want to do that. I didn't like the answer. I thought like there was a way where you could drink shakes and 
Like chocolate shakes. I ain't talking about none of that diet crap. You know what I'm talking about? I made a shake last night. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? That Jamocha homemade shake. Uh, it was worth cleaning the blender out afterwards. <laughs> you know you're lazy when you don't want to make a shake because you want to clean the blender. <laughs> I'm just being honest. Verse 40. Here's what it says. They weren't interested in the, in the priest's answer. Verse 40. However, they did not listen. But they did according to their earlier custom. I didn't, I didn't like what he'd said. I'm, I'm going to keep doing it my way. Huh. So you really didn't want an answer. Wow. How many, how many times do we ask spiritual questions where we got the answer and it was even a good right answer, but we didn't like it. So, nah, we just ignore that and go on back doing it the way we wanted to do it. Ask somebody, yeah, let me keep asking somebody till I get the answer I want. That's what I'm going to do. Right? Hmm. They were afraid. Here, here's, here, 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 if you could sum up this whole chapter in this one thing, here's what I want you to get. They were afraid, but they did not love. God, God has both. I understand that. Just like any daddy, right? But, but he's not just wanting you to be afraid. He's wanting you to love him. Verse 41. It says, they feared Yahweh, but they also served their idols. Still today, it said that back in 34 also. They, they just, they went for such a long time just doing it their way. Right? Still today. Their children and their grandchildren continue doing as their fathers did. They just let the pattern keep on going. Religion and tradition ingraining into our way of life, right? It, it effortlessly passes on to the next generation. You know, we don't even have to try to pass it on. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I'm talking about sometimes even good practices. Right? Like, 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 like good practices that, that, that we do. do you, how about this? Have you ever taken time to check out what you believe and why you believe it? I'm being, I'm being dead serious. Now, some of these are good things and some of these aren't. I'm just going to throw out a, a, a couple of things, right? But, but have you ever checked out why you believe what you believe? Or, or is it just, well, I believe that because that's the way I've always been taught. That's a crappy way to believe something, to be honest with you. Now, I'm not saying what you've been taught was wrong. Sometimes you'll check it out and you'll be like, hey, mom and dad had it right. Hey, so-and-so had it right, right? Sometimes you go check it out and be like, what the heck did they get this idea from? Like, where, where, where in the world did, did, did the whole concept come from? Check it out. I, I got asked the other day uh, just about various sins. You know, one was murder, one was hate, one was lust, uh, one was even um, homosexuality and, and, and just a bunch of stuff. And, and like I knew the initial beliefs on all of them. But then it made me open my Bible. I was like, I'm, I'm going to check out why the belief is what it is on each of these. Not, not that any of those changed or anything like that. But it, but it was just a moment for me to be able to check what I believe. You, you're not called to just be a puppet and believe what you've been spoon fed. Right? Maybe that's why we have weak generations coming up. Because we've been spoon feeding when they didn't get enough time to chew on some meat. Right? Let's open our scriptures and like check out why we believe stuff. Now, again, he, he's not perfect by no means. I'm not saying he is, you know, but, but I'll never forget one time I was, I was watching it evidently in their denomination. Uh, they don't believe fully in the Trinity. So, so TD Jakes, famous guy, right? Big, if you guys don't know, he's a big, uh, writer, uh, book writer, pastor, all, all that stuff going again, not saying he's perfect, not that you believe everything he says. What real cool story though, I watched him and, and, and he goes, I, I didn't know why we didn't believe in the Trinity. So I had to check it out. And I'm checking it out. He said, I did. Right, so, so it was just cool though to see somebody at that level. Cause I mean, when you're talking levels, like he's up there, right? 
But at that level to say, I, I got to check out why. I, I don't know why I don't believe in it. Would you have the guts and the audacity to say that? It's, it's kind of like the guy who ran to Jesus with his kid. You know, his kid was, was, was dead and dying. And what did he tell you? He goes, I, I believe you can do it, but, but help my unbelief. What he's flat out saying is, Jesus, I, I believe you, but, but there's a whole lot of doubt on the inside of me too. And it, and it feels weird. And I need you to help me in those areas. You remember what happened? Heal. You know why? Because he was honest. God don't need you to fake it. Oh God, I'm so holy. I believe everything. And then on the inside, like you, you're shaking. You're so scared. I think what he's looking for. He's looking for somebody who's just going to be honest. God, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know where to find this answer. Please help me. Maybe he'll send you a verse. Maybe he'll send you a person. I don't know. Maybe it'll just be a slap in the back of the head, right? But, but the point is, God wants you just to be honest with him. They, they stay so lost in this thing. Here's what's bad. They follow these rituals and, and all this stuff. And here, here's what I mean by rituals and, and where they're going with their mindset that relates to us, right? They want to keep God at bay so they keep enjoying the things they enjoy. It's just like we talked about with China and, and other areas where you just add God to a shelf, right? What you're saying is this. I want to sin and I want to know how many goats I owe for the sin. Right? We got some denominations like that today, right? Where, where you can do something, but you got to pay for whatever you do. And I, I question, question that just a little bit, right? I want to do my own thing. Just tell me how many prayers I need to pray at the end. Right? Uh, 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 I, this is not what God desires. Right? When Jesus finally comes, when Jesus comes, he gets, let's go back to that woman at the well. He, he gets to this woman, right? And this woman at the well, and, the, and they're sitting there, and she's still so mixed up on theology. Now, this is 700 years of being in the promised land, guys. You understand this? Because some of you are thinking, oh, time would just take care of everything. Well, 700 years ain't took care of it. There ain't nothing taking care of it. You know what I'm saying? 700 years, Jesus comes up. She has the big spill about, oh, I'm a Samaritan. How could you think of talking to me? What does Jesus tell her? Hey, you've been married five times. Matter of fact, the man you with right now still ain't your husband. Right? So, so he's throwing everything out. So she does this question. You remember her question? On which mountain am I supposed to worship God on? As if God is concerned about a geographic location about where he gets worshipped. You, 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 you understand like how foolish the question is that she's asking, right? So then Jesus just mixes the woman up, <laughs> mixes the woman up a little more. This is in John chapter four, 19 through 24. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. And, and people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, with respect, because I know some of y'all hear that the same way he called his mama, right? Believe me, an hour is coming when neither this mountain nor that mountain nor Jerusalem Will you worship the Father? You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people, the Father speaks to the seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. God ain't worried about no landscape. If you think you got to get into the church walls to... To, to, to worship, you've missed it, right? Jesus said true worshipers worship the Father in spirit and in truth. What's he mean by in spirit? It's an inner being. It's that inner being, meaning this. It speaks of love, devotion, true desire. You know, the, the, the things you, you're, you're just naturally on the inside hungry for. That makes sense? You show me a Reese's peanut butter cup, I will show you my inner spirit on a Reese's peanut butter cup. 
right? I should have that same kind of inner inner spirit when it comes to worshiping God. But then it said in truth. What is that? In true obedience. Just do it the right way. Not mixing up a bunch of stuff from the world, a bunch of stuff from church, and, and a bunch of stuff here. Just doing it the right way. Jesus is basically telling him, like, instead of being afraid of God, you just need to start loving God. Instead of being afraid of what might happen if you don't do it right, you just need to start loving him. Maybe saying the same thing to us today. Instead of just being worried and afraid of, of getting it wrong, why don't you just start loving him? Right? My, my wife a couple years ago finally started drinking coffee. I hate that you guys get a bunch of illustrations, but we just we just like to share real life with you, right? I'd make a coffee and I'd notice she didn't really drink it. She didn't like it. I did it wrong. So I did it again. She didn't drink it. Or she drank a little bit of it. I did it wrong. Then I found out I was putting the wrong kind of coffee in it. She didn't even like that kind of coffee. She only likes, this is no lie, only brand Folgers Hazelnut Coffee. That is it. No Starbucks, no, no expensive stuff. It don't matter what you buy. I went and bought like this awesome stuff, got a little grinder. I'm like, I'm going to get the other grind on too. And, and I was going through all the processes, right? I was so excited, so happy. She hated it. So I finally got the right kind. Then I, I'm kind of a sweet guy. You guys know that. So I put some sugar in there. She didn't like that. So I did like half that amount. She didn't like that. So I did a quarter of that amount. And she was finally like, yeah, maybe a little bit less, but you're getting close. I had to keep doing it to get it right. Do you think ever in that process? <laughs> probably should have asked her. That's one good answer. Thanks, Cliff. Way to be the holy roller. I forgot holy roller section. Beware. All right. I'm sorry. Let me sound spiritual now. Now I got to sound all the holy roller section. You guys should just ask God how he wants to be worshipped. For those of you that are holy rollers, like the rest of us, you're trying to figure it out on your own. Do you think for one of those moments she was thinking, what an idiot, he can't even fix my coffee. Maybe a couple of times. But my, my point is this, like I, I kept trying until I got it right. What if we just keep trying until we get it right with God? Now, that means you have to change. That means I couldn't keep fixing the same coffee. It wasn't what she liked. I got to be willing to change. Is it not the same way with the Lord? Do you not think I can just keep trying? I mean, I'm full effort now. I'm hard in. Right? Is that not what God wants? What, what if I get hard in and I realize oh, that was a little wrong, so I change it. Then I, then I get that part right. You, if, if you hadn't changed the way you worship him, some of y'all think, I've been a Christian my whole life. I know how to do it. God bless you is all I can say. Right? Because if you're not changing the way you walk and the way you worship and the way you live almost daily, to be quite honest with you, you're missing something. Someone made a mistake of telling me a couple weeks ago, man, you got it. No, I don't. <laughs> God bless you for being dumb enough to think I did. Right? It's a process. It's a process. Man, I hope I don't ever get to the point, and I'm talking about people who know like scripture from back, point out the Hebrew, the Aramaic, and the, and the Greek, and all of it, right? And they be like, I got it all. I don't ever want to get to that point. So they're like, man, don't, shouldn't you get to that point since you're the pastor? No. Because I need to be constantly learning, just like you guys. You guys need to be constantly learning. We ought to be constantly growing. 
right? It's not a stagnant water dies, right? You want to have so much life, the, the, the girls went kayaking out to You want to have so much life on the river? Because it's steady moving, fresh, right? Steady moving, growth. Got, got to keep growing, man, right? Look at this. Look at this. I'm going to go back to 33 and close this out. I told you I was going to use 33 again, right? On the screen. They feared Yahweh, but they also worshipped their own gods. I love in this section, by the way, I just got to point this out. And even if you were uh, using a different translation of the Bible, uh, you would have God capitalized at least right there. I, I, I love that Yahweh is just distinct from the other gods. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, like they didn't just have another God. They had Yahweh. Right? They feared Yahweh, but they also worshipped their own gods. Had they worshipped according to the customs of the nations. And, and here's, here's why I want to go back to this verse and make sure it's so clear for us. It is possible. If it was possible for them, it's possible for us. It is possible for you and I to think we have a grasp on our worship with God, our growth with God, and to still allow the mixture of the things of the world to get involved. It is possible to come to church and worship on a Sunday with all my brothers and sisters in Christ, yet go the rest of the week seeking out personal satisfaction, achievement, growth, money, sex, whatever it is that makes you feel good, right? It's possible to mix those things together. And when we mix them together, here's what we get. Your final fall. But what I love is God said it doesn't have to be that way. Even when the foreigners came in who were captives, they were captives. They were refugees. Even when they come in, God God had that, that priest that somehow remained left behind. I don't even know how he was left behind. You ever thought about that? Like, why was that guy left there? All the rest of the Jews got kicked out. I don't know. Maybe God hidden with, with, with the lions. I, 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 it doesn't say. I don't want to speculate, right? But, but that priest was there. And that priest could come forth and he could, he could speak it right. Right? Or maybe that priest was just like verse 33, because some people think this. If the priest was left behind, it was because he had already became like them. So he knew the truth, but he chose not to practice the truth. Do you know the truth? And not practice the truth? That's really scary to be in, isn't it? Hmm. Are we letting just a little bit cause a lot of disruptions? Let's pray. Father God, I love you so much. I thank you for this morning, God. I thank you for this chapter. God, I pray that you use this whole, this whole morning, Lord God, to, to draw us closer to you, Lord. Lord, to, to push us in the area we need to be pushed, to correct us in the area we need to be corrected, Lord God. God, to, God, it just put a little bit of fire inside of us with some things we might need to check out and understand why. God, help us not rely on just tradition and stuff to be passed down. But help us to seek out a loving relationship with you, one that you desire with us. God, help us to get past 17 in our life and on to 18 and 19 where we get a little bit of goodness again. In our walk with you. Lord, I thank you for this morning, God. God, now I pray as, as we close out this thing, Lord God, that we just, we hear from your spirit in a way that my words can't speak, Lord God. God, I've spoken physically. Now we, we want you to speak spiritually. So that we can worship and, and respond in spirit and in truth. In your name we pray. Amen.